Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. On this episode, we're talking about kids and their relationships. Why is it so important that kids spend time with their peers even from an early age? What problems should you look out for? How can you help your child through shyness, bullying, or other situations? And our hack this week involves checkers, but not in the way you expect. Hey, Lise. Hey, Lon. Where has the summer gone? <laughs> Wait, was it summer? I have no sense of time. None at all these days. I hear. <laughs> so they tell us it's been right. summer. But yeah, I mean, fall is around the corner and many kids will be going back to school, right? That is right. And for many, this will be the first time in a year and a half mm. that they'll be in school in person full time. I mean, could we ever have imagined this, know. you know? It's and it's crazy. And and for the little kiddos, some are starting daycare or kindergarten without having had much social experience in their lives at all because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So we thought it would be helpful to put together a guide of sorts around kids and peer relationships for parents and for other guardians as you watch your child, you know, re-enter the world of school, sports, extracurricular activities. You know, of course, you know, the pandemic is far from over, but we, including daycares and schools, are learning to navigate this time, right? Yeah. And, you know, that makes me think about what our childhoods were like in comparison. Now, Mm -hmm. Lonre, we've known each other since our very first day of college. But what was little Lonre like with her peers? (laughs) You know, I was actually really shy in elementary school. And I think that's related to the fact that I was new to the United States. You know, my family, we moved from Nigeria to Boulder, Colorado when I was five years old. You know, so just a little bit of a cultural difference. Really? (laughs) Just tiny, (laughs) tiny bit. Uh, You know, so it took a couple of years, probably, but I got more comfortable and developed close friendships over time, became more of an extrovert. Uh, So it's really funny watching my kids now, because my two-year-old and my six-year-old are very social. Like, if you ask my six-year-old who her best friend is, the girl will name no fewer than five other kids in her class. (laughs) They are. She's right. Every one of them. They're truly the best. They're all the best. They're all, all 14 of them are all the best, uh, best friend. Um, But of course, that comes with its own issues because, you know, someone in that group feels left out at one point or another. Sure. Yeah. And I love that my two-year-old is so friendly. She loves to give hugs to everyone and anyone. You know, she'll like follow you to give you her hugs. (laughs) She's so cute. But, you know, hugging strangers during a pandemic is less than ideal a little bit yeah not not quite it's a great strategy for spreading a virus <laughs> not for containment or prevention we need as to we find out what for. side she's on <laughs> exactly <laughs> need to interrogate 
Oh, yeah. And how about you? I hear you. I mean, I was, as you know, I was similar to you, starting out very shy, but becoming more extroverted by my preteen years. And looking back, I was really able to express my true personality because I was fortunate to have a very encouraging family and encouraging school community. Mm -hmm. And so now, as a parent, I really want to replicate that environment for my kids. So my almost 12-year-old girl is very social, while my (laughs) 7-year-old boy was very shy as a toddler, but has become much more outgoing as he gets older. Yeah. Yeah. Super cute. (laughs) Love. It's just awesome how little kids become best friends because they Mm -hmm. were like partners in gym class or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely, my husband and I noticed from a very early age that peer relationships, both positive and negative, can have a significant impact on how our kids perceive their school experience. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. You know, and we recognize that kids vary in terms of their social skills. You know, some are naturally shy or may have conditions that affect their social interactions, like being on the autism spectrum. So our goal isn't to make every child an extroverted socialite, <laughs> you know, but rather just to help build the life skills that are needed for positive interactions as your child gets older and starts to navigate the world on his or her own. So where do friendships begin? Well, kids start to draw closer to other kids based on age and gender at an early age in the preschool years. Friends and acquaintances become increasingly important to kids during middle childhood, starting around five or six years of age. And children in elementary and middle school start spending more time with their peers both in and out of school. As they get into adolescence, their relationships with their parents is still the most important one in terms of their development, but those peer friendships impact their self-esteem and their sense of how unique they are versus how much they need to conform with the groups around them. So let's let's back up a little bit and we'll talk about the importance of peer relationships for our youngsters. Well, firstly, kids learn important social and emotional skills when they play together, such as empathy, cooperation, and problem-solving strategies. They also learn skills like taking turns, compromising, and bargaining for what they want. In addition, it's been shown that positive peer relationships help kids and teens learn emotional regulation, which leads to better judgment and decision-making. And then when teenagers are together, they learn how to converse in a group, listen to others talk about things that are important to them, make small talk, share humor, and stand up for others who may be getting discriminated against. That's a a biggie for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's fascinating to watch even young kids play together because it might look like they're doing simple things or like they're just arguing the whole time. (laughs) But if you really watch, you'll see negotiations, communication of feelings, expressing of desires, and expressions of empathy. And these are all skills that we'll need as adults if we want to function well at home, work, and elsewhere. Yeah, and on the flip side, studies have shown that children who lack ongoing peer involvement actually miss out on opportunities to build a sense of social self-confidence, which would make it then more difficult to navigate the social world of adulthood. This research is so compelling that the American Academy of Pediatrics actually released a clinical report in 2018 on the power of play, which we'll link to in our show notes at HippocraticHost.com. So we do have to share one caveat. You know, we aren't saying that kids learn social skills only from one another. We're definitely not advocating for, you know, Lord of the Flies set up (laughs) where kids run in packs without any adults to guide them. You know, parents and guardians out there, you are still your child's first teacher. 
And they'll need your guidance and support to ensure that these friendships are positive ones. So we don't recommend that peer relationships take precedence over kids' relationships with their parents. You know, one reason for this is that parents' love is unconditional, while children's love for each other can be very conditional. Right. Right? So for kids to grow up you know, with healthy self-images then the ability to form long-lasting relationships, they must be primarily attached to loving, stable adults and secondarily attached to peers. All right, so children's friendships shouldn't displace their parental or family bonds. We'll talk more about parents later, um, but peers are still important for all the reasons we talked about. So let's talk about some problems that appear in kids' relationships. One side note, we are not talking about romantic relationships today. That's its own separate topic. But we will add a link in our show notes at HippocraticCoast.com to a great resource from HealthyChildren.org about helping teens to gauge if their dating relationship is a healthy one or not. All right. So let's talk about five common issues that you might see in a child's relationship with their peers. We'll talk about aggressive behavior, shyness, rejection, risk-taking, and bullying. So first, aggressive behavior. You know, in elementary school and beyond, aggressive behavior is clearly something that should be discussed with the child or teens, teachers and doctor, as this could be a sign of something like you know, depression or trauma. But for younger children in the toddler and preschool years, sad to say, it's actually just a part of normal development. <laughs> um, you know, at that age, children really just react in the moment and they often do things without thinking first. They also tend to speak, in quotes, with their whole bodies. So when there's an argument with a friend, it's common to see some kids hitting one another, even though it's not meant to be hostile or to hurt others. But the red flag should go up if redirecting the child doesn't reduce this behavior and they continue to hit even as you're trying to redirect. Second, let's talk about shyness. Shyness is not actually a problem per se, but it is often a concern that parents have. Sometimes kids are shy around other kids due to difficult life experiences, but mostly it's innate. Many children are just naturally slow to warm up, and that's not always a bad thing. They may feel uneasy around children they don't know, and they rarely make the first move to initiate a conversation or an activity. When shyness can become a problem is if a child is extremely shy and therefore not adapting well in the classroom or in the playground or they might avoid all social interactions and then miss out on building all of those skills that we mentioned earlier. So if this continues, it makes it harder to be an adult in social settings. You know, extreme shyness should be a sign to look for causes such as an anxiety disorder. So this is where a visit to your child's doctor or an evaluation by a child mental health professional would be really helpful. We do want to emphasize, though, and we know this from personal experience as well as our training, that most shy children do well in settings with other kids after they're given some time to adjust. And as adults, they continue to learn skills to function well in relationships without shyness being debilitating. Mm -hmm. So third, let's talk about rejection or exclusion. You know, it's so heartbreaking to hear a child or teen say, right, that you know, no one wants to be their friend. <sighs> or the other yes. kids are turning away from them. You know, but keep in mind that this happens to most kids at some point. Depending on their age or maturity level, children often react to conflict by avoiding or excluding the person with whom they're in conflict. 
Unfortunately, some kids get rejected because they're seen as different, based on race, ethnicity, body shape, or ability, for example. And sometimes it might be due to behavior on the part of the child or the group. Getting excluded from a group that the child really wanted to be a part of can lead to feeling lonely and unhappy. And then fourth is risk-taking. In adolescence in particular, peer relationships may lead to risk-taking behaviors, such as the use of tobacco and other substances or early sexual activity. They may take on these risks as a signal to their peers that they want to be seen as young adults. All right. And our last problem, which is a big one, is bullying. So uh, in 2014, the Centers for Disease Control and the Department of Education released the first federal definition of bullying. So the definition includes three key elements, unwanted aggressive behavior, observed or perceived power imbalance, and repetition or high likelihood of repetition of these bullying behaviors. According to StopBullying.gov, which is the federal anti-bullying website, about one out of every five students aged 12 to 18 experiences bullying nationwide. But if you think about it, all children are impacted by bullying, either as a child who is bullied, a child who does the bullying, or as a witness to bullying. That's a really important point, isn't it? None of Mm -hmm. us are untouched. And considering the fact that the definition of bullying includes terms like aggressive behavior, power imbalance, and repetition, it's sad to think that one out of every five teens is experiencing Mm -hmm. this. And here's another tough statistic. Fewer than half of those students felt comfortable enough to notify an adult at school about the bullying, which makes it even more difficult to address. And then there's cyberbullying, which is on the rise, with kids and teens having more access to the internet and social media. In that same study of adolescents, about one in seven experienced some form of cyberbullying in the year before. So the potential effect of all of these peer relationship problems is that a student's academic performance may suffer if they're experiencing these conflicts in school. And of course, their self-esteem may take a hit. So after hearing all of this, (laughs) what can parents do? Well, we mentioned at the top of the show that parents play a major role in shaping their children's relationships with their peers. There's so much we can teach our kids, directly and indirectly, to set them up for having positive relationships. So first, consider your home environment. What is your child seeing and then imitating from you, from their siblings, or anyone else in the home? Ideally, they're seeing healthy conflict arise and get addressed. Hopefully they're seeing examples of empathy. Kids then go to school and they, we all know, imitate and repeat the things that they see at home. That's right. And one of the most important things we can do, knowing that, is to teach pro-social behaviors. These are behaviors that benefit other people, such as sharing, helping, and comforting. Talk with your children about what you do relevant to this, like checking on a friend who's sick. Be specific, saying things like, Aunt Sophia isn't feeling well, so I'm going to call her and check on her. I want her to know that we care about her. Mm -hmm. We may assume that kids know our inner reasons for doing things, but they often don't. And so explicitly explaining these things to them can be part of that teaching process. I love that. Yeah, with kids, a lot of times you have to be very concrete (laughs) and deliberate (laughs) to make sure that they get that message. Yeah, and another tip in terms of you know being proactive and thinking positively is to expose your children to kids of different backgrounds. 
So studies show that working together in a diverse group toward a common goal, as kids often do during play, actually helps to reduce unconscious biases. You know, the hope is that this would then increase their sense of inclusivity and then make it less likely that your child will reject or exclude others. Joining a local sports team, playing in parks and rec centers outside of your immediate neighborhood, those are activities that could give your child a chance to interact with kids who may be different from them. Diverse books, cultural events, museum exhibits, those are also great exposure in addition to the personal interactions. That's never been more important than Mm -hmm. at this day and age, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, teach your child techniques on how to manage feelings, things like counting to 10 or deep breathing when he or she feels angry. Emotional regulation will help them manage peer conflicts much more smoothly. And then praise their efforts at making friends. So when you see your child with peers of the same age, encourage your child to play with them. Even if the attempts aren't successful, you know, maybe the other kids aren't open to a new playmate at this time. Or maybe your child like gets just three feet into the playground and then feels like that's (laughs) far enough. Either way, you know, they made an attempt and still praise your child's effort so that she or he will still feel confident with trying it again. And when you decide that your child is old enough to have a cell phone or that or would other be di- age thirty five, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. When they're applying for social security and they're getting right. their first cell phone or other device <laughs> <laughs> that allows communication with friends, make sure you know who they're communicating with, how much time they're spending on the device, and what they're communicating about. Encourage your child to talk about negative interactions so that you can keep it on your radar and be watching for potential cyberbullying. Hmm. So despite all of our coaching and supporting, negative interactions among children and teens are inevitable. So at that point, what is our role as parents or guardians? So the good news is that, again, supportive, caring relationships with adults can buffer the negative effects from peer issues. So what do you do when your child comes home and is having a really tough time with the other kids in their school? Well, first, validate your child's feelings. Most of these peer conflicts are temporary, so it's easy for us as adults to dismiss them, but it's important for kids to hear us say, I can understand why you feel that way, or something similar. Yeah, and then, you know, probe a bit about the situation. What, what does your child think is causing it? If it's a conflict with another child, how might the other child see the situation? What steps can your child take toward a resolution? At the same time, don't dwell on negative experiences that seem beyond your child's control, especially for younger kids. You can say things like, let's see what happens tomorrow, things that are forward-looking and inject some hope into the situation. And then for younger kids, when they're hitting or pushing one another as a response to a conflict, redirect those behaviors to a more positive activity. You know, maybe nobody plays with that toy for now if it's causing that much conflict, but you guys get to choose something else to play with. And along with that, teach your child to express herself or himself with words and not with those physical responses. Teach your child to say something like, you grabbed the toy I was playing with. I don't like that. It makes me mad or sad. Please give it back. And for you as a parent, don't try to fix everything which is really hard, I think. And we want like the best for our kids. We want to jump right in and save them. But actually, if a conflict arises, allow children time to work it out themselves. That helps them build those problem-solving skills we talked about. And intervene only if they get to a point where, you know, they can no longer resolve the problem on their own. 
Teach your child to stand up for herself or himself and for others. If your child feels unsafe, this might mean that they just report the problem to the teacher rather than confronting the child who's doing the teasing or bullying. There are lots of strategies for teaching kids how to stand up for themselves and others, and we'll link to a couple of resources in the show notes at HippocraticCoast.com. Yeah, and finally, build up your child's confidence by reminding them of their strengths. When a child knows he or she is really good at something, it's easier then to cope when peers say mean things or turn away from them. So those are all things to do with your child who might be going through difficult peer relationships. But if your child is really struggling, if academic progress is impacted, or if there's any bullying happening, then it's time to connect with your child's school. You might start with your child's primary teacher, or some schools have comprehensive anti-bullying programs that include a specific point of contact for parental concerns. You can ask the teacher to check in with your child periodically and to be your eyes and ears in the classroom. If they can check in with your child in a supportive way, this helps your child know that there's a caring adult in the room that they can turn to, which makes the school environment easier to manage. And if the concern is something serious like bullying, you'll want to make sure you have the information the school needs to be able to help. So get all the details from your child, who was involved, time, location, what exactly has been happening, and if there have been any witnesses. It might be distressing to your child to recount all of this, but if you're writing it all down, hopefully that will save your child from having to repeat it again and again. And if there was any cyberbullying involved, make sure to save any texts, emails, or online posts. And find out if your child already reported it to someone at school and what that person's response was. And then set up a meeting in person with the school or virtually if that's what they offer. Again, this might be with their primary teacher or with someone else that the school has appointed for bullying cases. When you meet with the school, provide all the details you have. And then before the meeting ends, try to get a commitment about what the next steps are and when you should expect to hear back from them. At that point, the ball is in their court. So in general, schools are motivated to keep kids safe and to stop bullying. But if you feel that their response is inadequate, then escalate. You know, you're your child's first advocate. Escalate the concern up the chain. The specifics depend on the jurisdiction, and you'll want to maybe check the websites of the school or the school district. But this may mean meeting with the principal or writing to the school superintendent. We really hope you and your child don't have to endure any of this. But if you do, we hope these tips are helpful. And now for our physician mom hack of the week. Our hack this week is actually a game called Checker Stack. It was created by a psychologist, Dr. Susan Williams-White, particularly for children with autism spectrum disorder, but it can be helpful for any child with difficulty maintaining a conversation with their peers. In this game, you need stackable chips like checkers or poker chips. Two people, your child and a friend, for example, sit across from each other. One person initiates a conversation by saying a couple of sentences about something and then puts down a chip. The other person continues the conversation with something relevant and then puts a chip on top of the first one. They go back and forth, talking and stacking chips. If someone says something that's off topic or breaks the flow of the conversation, then the game ends and you start over. It teaches turn-taking and staying on topic when you're making conversation. And it's fun to see how high the stack of chips can get. You can do this with your child and role play as if you're a friend, or your child can do it with a sibling to practice. 
We'll drop a link in the show notes at HippocraticHost.com to this and other games and activities to teach social skills to kids from babies to teens. So that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to us. We always appreciate the time that you spend with us. Just a friendly reminder, as always, we are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hippocratic Host. You can also subscribe to the podcast. It's completely free and you get alerts whenever we release new episodes. And also, if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers, and all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.